Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. A man named Joseph Pujol was born in France in the late 1800s. Coming from very humble beginnings, Joseph had an idea and combined with his talent, was able to become a self-made man. He saw an opportunity that no one else had seemed to capitalize on and took full advantage. The paths to success are made up of many different routes, but you'll often find similarities between successful people and their journeys. So when you think about success, it's hard not to think about the subject of today's show, the uber-wealthy supervillain lookalike Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, like Pujol, came from humble beginnings and has literally become what all the kindergartners publicly dream about out loud, the richest man in the world. He followed Pujol's blueprint, finding a concept or idea that no one else had done well before and made it work. Love him or hate him, Bezos has changed the way the world buys things. Every online retailer is constantly chasing and trying to mimic what Jeff and the company he built, Amazon, are doing. The big box stores are trying to keep up with his online presence and online retailers take note of his delivery infrastructure. Although I do have to admit that this new Amazon overnight delivery is a little freaky. To be able to order some underwear after dinner and have some person show up setting off your doorbell camera at 4 o'clock in the morning with said underwear all before you have to get up and get ready for work. Weird, but awesome. Speaking of weird but awesome, you may be wondering who Joseph Pujol was, what was his great idea, and how he ties to Bezos. If you've listened to our show for a while, you may recognize him by his stage name, Lepetamane. You see, Joseph Pujol was a professional farter. That's right, a flatulist. He took his show to the Moulin Rouge in Paris, farting out songs through a tube in his ass for audiences that included kings and queens. Just like Jeff Bezos, Lepetamane was a disruptor changing a space traditionally held for singers and dancers and changed the game forever. Again, just like Bezos, he did something new and that the people didn't know they wanted until they had it. But on his way to becoming the richest man in all the land, Bezos has landed in the news many times. None of the somewhat negative stories never really seem to impact much of his business or wealth. So is there more dirt beneath the surface of the online titan or are the haters just gonna hate? In terms of his recent divorce, would it have been cheaper to keep her? And how much does it cost to transform your physical look into the bad guy from an X-Men movie? Have a seat, fire up your laptop, and add that underwear to your cart as we get ready to check out the Jeff Bezos episode of Asshole Court. CEO entrepreneur, born in 
anything that we can get to help us out on this adventure, you know, we are really appreciative. So thank you very much, everybody. Yeah, and I uh, what they don't know is that I've spent all the money on nothing but Natty Light. Natty Light? Natty Light? Yeah, that's because I wanted to see how much beer I could buy. And that was the best choice. Uh, couldn't have done beer and gummies at least? Well, no. Because I, you guys are, would, I just want you guys to be mad at me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we do got to give a big shout out to Keith Schuer, Lindsey Handen, Joy B., Thomas O'Dwyer, Judy Miller, Thorsten Witt, Leslie C., Valerie Martinez, Daryl Chase, Julia Hayes, Deidre Lanigan, Karen B., Emily Lilburn, and Dylan Whitehead for donating to the cause. Well, oh, there's yeah. also one left on there, uh, and it says strictly for Mikey, Salma H. Oh, nice. <laughs> Salma oh. H. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. And we did get uh, one more donation from uh, Helen and Jay. Oh, yeah, yeah so, that's right. Yep. Yeah, big shout so, out. Big no, for real, out, like you guys, uh, it honestly means a lot to us. Like, uh, it's weird that we do the show, and when we started, we never expected anybody to give a shit at all, much less give us money. So uh, we appreciate it, and hopefully we'll have some real fun audio for you guys when we get back from Denver. No guarantees on that. It could be awful, but yeah. we'll find out. <laughs> we did. We bought a recorder to record ourselves on this uh, on this trip, so it, it might be just- some good content. Might not. It could be about five minutes of just random farts in the hotel room, too. So <laughs> Or some shit that we thought was really funny, yeah. but then everybody else is like, you guys are fucking idiots. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. awful human beings. We'll find one out. One of the two. All right, good deal. Let's dive into, uh, actually, we wanted to get an update and hear our, our latest review, I believe. Mikey uh, told us we just got this one. Buddy and I haven't read it or listened to it yet, so yeah, we'll let Mikey fill us in on this one. So this is uh first segment of uh, from the inbox for today's episode. And the title of this review is, Yeah. Yeah, I like it already. Yeah, yeah. this is from Como Jess. She says, I think it's she, I'm assuming it's she, it could be a guy, but I don't know, either way. She says, or he says, y'all are so funny. Thanks, by the way, for recapping the top ten in the P. Diddy episode. I'm currently experiencing Unbreak My Heart on repeat in my head. The comedic twist on the irony of people's lives, along with the well-placed swear words, makes me laugh. Thank you. Keep up the good work. So, Como Jess, we really appreciate you. Uh, and anybody out there that wants to give us a five-star review, we always appreciate that. It will get read on here, uh, most likely. Awesome. Hell yeah. Dude, that is awesome. Unbreak my heart. Say fuck me again. I remember that. Oh man, that was from the P Diddy episode. Remember that was one of the songs that you that you thought wasn't good enough. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> See, told y'all. All right, Randy's got something else here from the uh, the inbox. From the inbox as well. Yep. This week uh, we got a question from Reddit user Dreamware Plus. Said question for Randy: Do you like the Trailer Park Boys? It's not a typical reality show, but it's set up in a way since it's a mockumentary. If you haven't watched it, all y'all should. So many good quotes from it. Every episode is pretty much a dumpster fire because of Ricky. Also, I keep listening to your episodes over and over. I need more AHC. So Nice. Awesome, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Dreamware Plus. And to answer your question, I've had several people tell me I need to watch the Trailer Park Boys. I've tried to watch, Mm -hmm. I think, like two episodes. I think it's maybe a slow burn, or I just need to kind of have lower expectations coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess I may need to revisit it. But I did try once upon a time, and uh, it didn't catch. So I don't think I've ever watched Trailer Park Boys. I've, I've, I've heard of them, but yeah. I've watched a couple episodes, and then I think the guy with the glasses bubbles or whatever his name is. I don't know. But um, and everybody also says the same thing. You should watch Trailer Park Boys. And there's the other one, which is Letter Kenny. And I just, I don't know. Now we'll give it a shot, and if we get into it, we'll uh, give you a big shout out. Yeah, maybe we'll watch a couple episodes on the plane if they've got it on them flying out to uh, Colorado. There we go. Good idea there. 
All right, got to give a shout-out to the listener who recommended the show today, and he is one of our most loyal and favorite fans. Reddit user, Important Fancy Man. Yay! Thanks, as always, Impo Fance. Yes, we love Important Fancy Man. He's always uh, been an important fancy man around here, and we appreciate all the love that we get all the time. That's right. All right, boys, let's get some pre-show scores for Jeff Bezos. Mikey, kick us off. Okay, uh, first of all, I want to talk about your intro, which was fantastic because the Lepetto Main joke <laughs> has been uh, one of me and Randy's favorites now for, for over a, a decade. a long time. We spent yeah. a lot of time emailing each other back and forth, and we would always introduce each other and be like, Dear Lepetto Main, or Dear... So whatever it was, so we could start the whole email off with a joke. But it's also interesting to me that initially that I thought you were talking about Albert Pujols, and I was like, are you going to compare Albert Pujols to Jeff Bezos, but it wasn't. It was Lepetto Maine, yes. who also, the name Pujol, very fitting. Yeah, yes. absolutely. The farter with the last name of Pujol. Now, who's the other guy you're referring Albert Pujol to? Albert Pujols, Hall of Fame baseball player. Ah, uh, yeah. okay. For the okay. St. Louis Cardinals, one retired Randy's, probably five, ten years ago. Yeah, one of Randy's favorites. Yeah, this guy was yeah. awesome. Oh, which okay. is why yeah. I assumed that he was talking about Albert Pujols for a second. I was like, I mean, yeah, great baseball player, you know, but what does it have to do with Bezos? Either way, fantastic. So let's get to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> So um, I, I get a pat on the back for comparing the, the farter to Bezos versus the Hall of Famer to Bezos. Yes, All yes. Right, I'll take One's that. funnier Thanks, than the other, yeah, which is why you get credit. Thanks, um, so anyways, Jeff Bezos, you know, there's a lot of hate for Bezos. Uh, again, this is maybe the only person that there's ever been a public poll to not let return from space. I think that <laughs> is, uh, you know, that's a that's a. That's amazing. That's right. From what I saw of the video, though, he did Shatner pretty dirty when they came back down from space. I saw that, too, but, I, I mean, honestly, Shatner was in a fucking TV show about Star Trek. You know, does he really need, a, a, a like, an important soliloquy when he gets <laughs> back from a low-orbit launch? What did Bezos say? He just interrupted him. And the whole time, like, he, Shatner's trying to give this, like, it was an amazing mm-hmm. type, you know, like, a uh, type speech. And Jeff's just like, where's the champagne bottles? Woo! Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. He didn't... Like, he didn't read the room. He didn't know. Uh, I think he was hyped up. A lot of people got mad. But the thing is, with Bezos, everybody hates him anyways because right. he's insanely rich, and he does look like a fucking villain now. Now. Oh, yeah. yeah. He went from looking like a total nerd like a in the dad. library. Somebody's Not dad. even a dad. Not even a dad. <laughs> like the what you would define a as- A nerd's like dad. A nerd confirmed bachelor who lives at, in like a, a tiny little apartment with a- with like a cat, you know, <laughs> uh, and then he became yeah. It looks like a some sort of villain from a yeah, Marvel from movie. Next Man movie. Yeah, yeah. But what I'll say is I don't know much about him because I haven't really paid attention. Aside from the fact that you know, just my interest in business, he is a master at capital allocation. He's very smart. The way he looks at his business is very interesting. When you read some of the sort of financial statements, the earnings reports that he would put out. It's obvious that he understands investing in sort of capital allocation more than most CEOs do. So I've always been sort of impressed with that. Is he a dick? Very possible. I feel like there's other billionaires that deserve hate as well because let's be honest, who's not using Amazon at this point? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like yeah. and then maybe there's a lot of bad there, but oh my god, the convenience has changed everything. It's changed Everything. It's like, in fact, I've worked for companies before when I was working in distribution, and it killed us because people became so used to the idea of free shipping. And two-day shipping. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It changed uh-huh. the whole shipping world. And it, as for a consumer, it's fantastic. I also have had very good experiences with returns on Amazon. I've returned things that I shouldn't have, and they didn't give a shit. They're just one step below L.L. Bean and their former stuff. So I'm going to go with Bezos because he is a billionaire, a wealth hoarder. 
I'm going to put him at a 5.75. All right, 5.75 for Mikey pre-show. Buddy, what you got for Jeff Bezos pre-show? Good old Jeff Bezos. When I think of Jeff Bezos, I think of pretty much two images that come into my mind, and it's the picture of him when he was first starting Amazon, and it looks like he has, like, it looked like somebody took a black spray paint can and just wrote Amazon.com right. yeah. on a white, a towel or some yeah. a big sheet and hung it up like on their desk. I, c- I can't remember if it's on his desk or like behind him in his garage. But that's like the first image I have, and then the second image is the latter after he's already sold and he's all ripped up now and he's looking like the X Men bad guy. Yeah, um, like Professor X if he could walk. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he paid to have his legs brought that's back. Right. So those are the two uh, images that I get in mind for Jeff. I think that he has created he's created one of the most successful companies of all time. I'm interested to find out if there's like the stories of like employee abuse and stuff like that where people are having to work a lot of overtime that they don't want to work or something like that. Just kind of, uh, you know, I'm going to ding them for infractions and that if we uncover that throughout the show. Uh, But I don't know about any of that. I've never really, you know dug into it or you know just like mikey said i'm more of the the consumer on this end you know i love getting stuff within two days free shipping and uh, no problems really returning anything mm-hmm. um i can get a textbook and a dildo in the same package yeah. two days later <laughs> that's right. mind-blowing you know i was looking at our list of people that we've covered and i was kind of putting them in that like i see like mark zuckerberg vince mcmahon kind of in that territory I, I thought it was interesting that mikey said a 5.75 because that's right where vince mcmahon was he's big like these people but i don't know i think he might be in a different category than them but i think initially i'm going to start them off right in about the same spot and uh pre-show i'm going to put them at just a tick under vince mcmahon and we're going to go with a uh, 5.5 pre-show all right 5.5 for buddy randy bring us home so kind of like you guys i remember the jeff bezos like you said leaning on the computers the balding look mm-hmm. uh, sweater the, the fucking dork but you always kind of he always you know kind of once he hit the scene he never really left right so kind of credit to him there i have heard like some of the shit working at amazon but i don't know how much that lends itself to the ceo versus kind of the the site manager or you know the whoever may be overseeing that division of whatever it may be it does start at the top i yeah. get that for sure but, you know, not everybody's to blame for everything that happens underneath you. No. You know, ultimately, res- you know, you're responsible, you're responsible for, the for it. Yeah, but you're not to blame sometimes. Anyway, so, you know, going in terms of, like, asshole score, there's nothing that stands out. There's no, like, earth-shattering story that's ever crippled this guy, really, other than getting mm-hmm. divorced, which is, like, what's happened to half the people in America. Yep. So, not anything. Not, yeah. Yeah, nothing crazy there. You know, kind of looking where you guys had him, I'd scored it, you know, prior to uh, meeting today. I had him at a 5.13. 5.13? 5.13 was my pre-show score. All right. With a 5.75 from Mikey, a 5.5 from Buddy, and a 5.13 from Randy, Jeff Bezos' pre-show asshole score is a 5.46. All right, 5.46, just above Michael Jordan at 5.45, and just below rocker Courtney Love at a 5.5. Interesting company. Isn't it, though? Yeah. I was thinking about Michael Jordan at the beginning just because, I mean, they're at that same... They're both bald. Yeah. Yeah, Top of the game. Absolutely. Bald and rich. Extremely rich. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right, you guys ready to check it out? I am. Let's order this shit. Jeffrey Preston Jorgensen was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico on January 12, 1964, as the first child of 17-year-old Jacqueline and 19-year-old Ted Jorgensen. At the time of Jeff's birth, his mother was a 17-year-old high school student 
and his father was a unicyclist. Ted Jorgensen's background was as a circus performer, and in the 1960s was one of Albuquerque's best unicyclists. Swear to God, this isn't one of those Mikey moments where he tells us, uh, just kidding to make us all feel stupid. <laughs> I found an oddly detailed account of Ted Jorgensen's time as a unicyclist. Wow. God, the best unicyclist in Albuquerque. Now that's a title that nobody cares about. The archives of local newspapers contain a colorful record of his youthful proficiency. And in 1963, Ted headed up a group of unicyclists called the Unicycle Wranglers, touring county fairs, sporting events, and circuses. God. Wow. Well, he was like so, a clown, or like a, what do you call those? Like a roadie. Yeah, uh, like a unicyclist. Yeah. Yeah. They had to be, I guess there was Circus groupies. Junkie. That's why he was banging a high schooler because she just didn't know. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. She went to the circus and was like, she banged the unicycle. No, yeah. they just met. And she was like, what do you do for a living? He's like, I race. I work on a farm. <laughs> I race. Yeah. Um, wheels. <laughs> a wheel. <laughs> but even as a talented one wheeled rider, Ted and Jackie were super young parents, and Ted, who wasn't really reeling it in financially on his unicycle tour, what? also had a bad habit of drinking and staying out late at night. Pretty impressive to get drunk as fuck and ride a unicycle. About to say, with the long-term prospects of a good life with a drunk unicyclist not looking great, Jackie packed up she and young Jeff, and they moved out. I like to imagine him chasing her down the street on his unicycle. Hey, get back here. <laughs> he right, a bottle of Jack and went in. <laughs> she and throws just, a rock. Yeah, he just fucking And I imagine, it. like, some trousers with yeah. suspenders and, like, a baggy white shirt. A cop just fucking throws a stick in his spokes. <laughs> just keep going, lady. You're good. You're good now. Divorced from Bezos' biological father, by the time Bezos was 17 months, Jackie sought out work as a secretary and she had been taking secretarial classes in the afternoons after school because that used to be a thing. Ladies would go to secretarial school Absolutely. to learn to become a secretary. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, it was like Mad Men. You all get into the secretary pool, and then you just try to bag some executive. That's it. And even though I was a terrible typist and couldn't read my own shorthand, somebody actually hired me, she said. I got a job which paid $190 a month. God. I mean, obviously, inflation and all that. It is Albuquerque in the 60s, but... I just still... 190 a month. Yeah. Jackie was able to move into her own apartment with her son, but it left her no money to afford a phone. Since Jackie's parents wanted to speak with her daughter daily, her father set up a walkie-talkie and told her to check in every day at 7 a.m. It was like an 80s movie with the kids, you know? <laughs> like the two kids that live next door to each other. It's exactly. Talking, yeah. Hey, are you up yet? Yeah. Yeah. We're having Eggo waffles. Yeah. <laughs> what do oh, y'all have? Sounds good. Nothing. I'll call you back in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. My dad's drunk and is rolling around the house. My mom's scared. <laughs> Determined to continue her education, Jacqueline enrolled in night school and picked up her classes based on which professor would allow her to bring her infant to class with her. Okay. I would show up with an infant and two duffel bags, Jackie said. One would be full of my textbooks and the other full of diapers, clothes, bottles, whatever he needed. The second one would have items that might keep Jeff interested for a few minutes. It was in one of those classes that Jackie met her future husband, Mike Bezos, a Cuban refugee. Okay, I didn't, okay, all right. Yep, Jackie and Mike hit it off quickly, and around 1968, they married, and shortly after the wedding, Mike adopted four-year-old Jeff, whose surname was then legally changed from Jorgensen to Bezos. Okay, so what is the old Jorgensen the unicycle? I mean, what a fucking loser of a life, when dude. They, when An alcoholic, they... unicycle, Son takes somebody else's name. He becomes the richest man in the world, and you ain't getting shit. And when they moved initially, Mike Bezos and her essentially asked the guy, look, we don't want you to ever contact us again. And he was like, that's fine. 
Damn. Yep, and that was Did it. Did he hold true to it? Yeah. Yeah, that huh? was it. Never never heard from he, him again. Well, yeah, because he died in a unicycle accident in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> the, the unicycle riots of the 70s. That's exactly. right, yeah. Jackie, Jeff, and Mike packed their shit and headed to Houston, Texas, where Mike got a job working as an engineer for Exxon. From an early age, Jeff displayed a striking mechanical aptitude. Even as a toddler, he asserted himself by dismantling his crib with a screwdriver. What? He also developed intense and varied scientific interests, rigging an alarm to keep younger siblings out of his room and converting his parents' garage into a lab for his science projects. Huh. So essentially he rigged up like a, he figured out how to work, make an alarm for when his brothers and sisters would come in his room. Well, I can see that, but a toddler with a screwdriver taking down his thing. Yeah, I, think, I have a hard time believing that. Although he is the richest man in the world, so I mean, obviously he's... I mean, I see him maybe taking off one bolt, maybe, as a toddler. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. If he immediately started assembling his own unicycle, they're like, don't do it, Jeff. <laughs> don't you fucking do it. Don't even start. Yeah. It's in my blood. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff was around 10 years old when Jackie and Mike explained his situation to him and that Mike wasn't his biological father. Years later, as a college student, he confronted his mother and asked her a series of pointed questions about his birth. They both declined to discuss the details of that conversation, but afterwards, Bezos hugged her and said, you did a great job, Mom. The family moved to Miami, Florida, where Jeff attended Miami Palmetto High School. While Jeff was in high school, he once had a job working at McDonald's as a short-order line cook. I read an interview with Bezos where he was asked what he learned from his job working at McDonald's. He said, working at McDonald's, I learned that it's really hard. I was a cook. They wouldn't let me anywhere near the customers. This was my acne teenager stage. They were like, hmm, why don't you work in the back? Fry pit for you, boy. Yep. <laughs> one of the great gifts I got from that job is that I can crack eggs with one hand. My favorite shift was Saturday morning. The first thing I would do is get a big bowl and crack 300 eggs into it. One of the things that was really fun about working at McDonald's is getting really fast at all the stuff. See how many eggs you can crack in a period of time and still not get any shell in them. Wow, that's so very, like, just domestic take. So that's the approach that Bezos took to working at McDonald's. Hey, so look, Let's I'm the richest guy in the world. fast and hard and good I can get at this shit. You know what's great, though? The best thing I ever learned? Cracking an egg with one hand. It's yeah. pretty great. <laughs> You're just like, okay, nothing about, like, efficiency? Uh-uh. Nope. Well, sort of. Efficiency with one hand. Cracking an egg. My favorite thing I had learned when I was growing up was how to fold a newspaper into a bag. Yeah. throw it. Exactly. Yeah. Mine was to, you better buy those non-skid shoes when they tell you you need to. Yeah. <laughs> kitchen. I ate shit with a whole tray of cornbread uh -huh. in front of a, a bus full of old people, and even they were laughing. <laughs> Tired of commercials in the middle of your asshole court episodes? Do you want to say in the next show's subject or the next conspiracy we discuss? Well, now you can. Go to patreon.com and find us at AHC Podcast. Get those ad-free shows you want, get some input on who you want to hear about, and become internet famous with a shout-out on one of our shows. We've even got stickers and swag to show off to all your friends, and you'll get all of our new Conspiracy Court episodes. Go to patreon.com today and find us at AHC Podcast. Also in high school, Bezos, while holding down the breakfast shift at Mickey D's, started hanging with the wrong crowd and developed yeah. a little bit of a coke problem his junior year. Wait, 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 wait. You said coke problem? Coke problem. His junior this can't year of be high school. real. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Bezos, as expected, fucking crushed high school and graduated as valedictorian and definitely not with a coke problem. Man, but he would be the best cokehead ever. Man. Ugh. Wake it up Saturday morning, 300 lines, heart explodes, you just get back up, do it again. One egg, one nine. <laughs> oh, man, 300 lines in the morning. Yeah. 
I'm not even hungry at all, <laughs> ever. In his graduation speech, Bezos told the audience he dreamed of the day when mankind would colonize space. A local newspaper quoted his intention to get all people off the earth and see it turned into a huge national park. So, valedictorian, yep. right? Also, he wants mankind, the wrestler, to go to space? That's right. Okay. Absolutely. Do love mankind. Mick Foley. <laughs> all the same. All the same people. Mick Foley wrestled on the same high school wrestling team as Kevin James from King okay. of Queens. Oh, wow. Yeah, yep. And they were in the same weight class, and Kevin James was actually the number one, and Foley was the number two. I could see that. Yeah. Mm. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Both turned out to be celebrities? Yes, I would yeah, say yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. TV stars? Yeah. So with options wide open in terms of what he wants to do next, Bezos knew he wanted to go to college and decided to take his talents to Princeton University in New Jersey. Weak. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> While initially there to study physics, he shifted his studies to follow his passion, computers. So doing some research about Princeton, I learned something I had never heard of before. At Princeton, they have a traditional dining hall, but most students wind up joining and eating most of their meals at what are called eating clubs. The eating clubs of Princeton University are private institutions resembling both dining halls and social houses where the majority of Princeton upperclassmen eat their meals. Each eating club occupies a large mansion on Prospect Avenue, one of the main roads that runs through the Princeton campus. The area is known to the students colloquially as The Street. Princeton's eating clubs are the primary setting in F. Scott Fitzgerald's 1920 debut album, This Side of Paradise, and the clubs appeared prominently in the 2004 novel, The Rule of Four. The the debut novel of F. Scott Fitzgerald, maybe not album. I don't, <laughs> Say I don't, album? I don't think F. Scott oh, Fitzgerald was dropping tracks, Damn. but maybe. Yeah, it was definitely uh, the the novel yes, and not yes. the album. Did I say album? You did say album. Nice. All right. Fuck it. That's staying then. Uh-huh. <laughs> Princeton undergraduates had their choice of 11 eating clubs, six clubs, the Cannon Club, the Cap and Gown Club, the Princeton Tower Club, the Ivy Club, Tiger Inn, and University Cottage Club choose their members through a selective process called Bicker, involving an interview process, though the actual deliberations are secret. Five clubs are non-selective sign-in clubs for members chosen through a lottery process. Many of the upperclassmen at Princeton take their meals at the eating clubs, and the club's are private institutions and not officially affiliated with Princeton. Bezos ended up in the eating club of Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> the Arby's house. Five for five. It's a great deal. So these are basically food fraternities? I Man, I got in a rabbit hole with this shit. Yeah. So I wound up doing like Google Street View and uh, Google the addresses of these places. Yeah. And it is. It's one road kind of on the Princeton campus. Mm-hmm. And they are big, gigantic fucking houses. It almost looks like a... Look like big fucking houses. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly what it is. It's it like looks like the monster mansion over it looks at like, Six Flags. Yeah, really nice frat houses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of them on this one street. But uh, that's where you go, and essentially you pay to eat. You yeah. say so you pay yeah. kind of like your meal ticket, and uh, you go there to eat, and you do hang out and meet people. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit why. Uh, fraternities and secret societies were banned from Princeton from the middle of the 19th century until the 1980s with the exception of the university's political, literary, and uh, debating societies, the American Whig Society, and the Cliosophic Society, which had been founded at Princeton before the American Revolution, so they let that one in. Okay. Yeah. And the Whigs, like W-H-I-G? That's it. American Whig Society Holy and the Cliosophic. Cow. The yeah. Whigs haven't existed as a party since the 1840s. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Also, I like to imagine that there's some kid that came over from like a third world country, and he gets a scholarship to Princeton, and he chooses the actually based on the food. You know, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't give a shit about the social aspects. He's like, which one has the largest portions? Yeah, I like chicken tenders and French fries. Yeah. 
the Jamaican yeah. uh, exchange student. <laughs> Bumbaclata. <laughs> Call me now. So there you go. There's some dork-ass shit uh, right there for you. Bezos wound up going into the one to sign up and eat here houses. The Quadrangle House is what it was Quadrangle? Called. Quadrangle House? Quadrangle uh, House. Yeah, weak man. name. After graduation, Jeff Bezos found employment on Wall Street, where computer science was increasingly in demand to study market trends. He went to work at Fitel, a startup company that was building a network to conduct international trade. He stayed in the finance realm with Bankers Trust, rising to vice president. At D.E. Shaw, a firm specializing in the application of computer science to the stock market, Bezos was hired as much for his overall talent as for any particular assignment. While working at Shaw, Jeff met Mackenzie Tuttle, also a Princeton graduate. They began dating and were married in 1993. Bezos rose quickly at Shaw, becoming a senior vice president and was looking forward to a bright career in finance when he made a discovery that changed his life in the course of business history. The internet was originally created by the Defense Department and Al Gore to keep its computer networks connected during an emergency, <laughs> such as natural catastrophe or enemy attack. Over the years, it was adopted by government and academic researchers to exchange data and messages. But as late as 1994, there was still no internet commerce to speak of. One day that spring, Bezos observed that internet usage was increasing by 2,300% a year. He saw an opportunity to share a new sphere of business and immediately began considering the possibilities. In typically methodical fashion, Bezos reviewed the top 20 mail-order businesses and asked himself which could be conducted more efficiently over the internet than by traditional means. Books were the commodity for which no comprehensive mail-order catalog existed because any such catalog would be too big to print. And mail, perfect for the internet, which could share a vast database with a virtually limitless number of people. He flew to Los Angeles the very next day to attend the American Booksellers Convention and learned everything he could about the book business. He found that the major book wholesalers had already compiled electronic lists of their inventory. All that was needed was a single location on the internet where the book buying public could search the available stock and place the orders directly. Bezos' employers weren't prepared to proceed with such a venture, and Bezos knew the only way to seize the opportunity was to go into business for himself. It would mean sacrificing a secure position in New York, but he and his wife, Mackenzie, decided to make the leap. It's pretty, uh, honestly, amazing analysis. Yeah. Like, to sit there and look at that, because you're like, yeah, people are like, oh, a lot of, I remember at the time, you know, in the late 90s, everybody was like, oh, start an internet business. But it's just like, because everybody's doing it. But like, <laughs> him, like, looking at that and actually narrowing the focus down, like, a lot of people were just like, oh, no, no, he just loved books. No, no, no. He just literally was like, what is the best channel here for yeah. this? And I, I want to get ahead of the curve here on something that's like, exponential growth oh yeah for sure because like you said i think you said there was like 1.3 million titles at one point early on in mm -hmm. amazon the largest bookstore in america had yep. like 183,000 books yep. in it oh wow yeah he's like i'm 10 times the size yep and i turn my inventory 152 times a year yeah and uh Jeez. he's like a bookstore turns their inventory three to four times right a year. Jeez. yeah and the shipping just makes perfect sense yeah, yeah. You can't, it's hard to damage a book yeah mm -hmm. yep absolutely Jeff and McKenzie flew to Texas on Independence Day weekend and picked up a 1988 Chevy Blazer, a gift from his dad, Mike, to make the drive to Seattle. There they would have ready access to the book wholesaler Ingram and the pool of computer talent that Jeff would need for his enterprise. In a very Randy-esque move, before deciding on Seattle, Bezos investigated whether he could set up Amazon.com on an Indian reservation near San Francisco. This way he could have access to talent without all the tax consequences. Unfortunately, the government thought of that first. One of the biggest reasons they selected Seattle was because sales tax is required in any state that you conduct business in, so the tax bill every year will be much smaller in Washington versus California. 
That was one of the primary things. So any sale you made in Washington, you had to charge sales tax on. Any sale outside of Washington, you did not. That's, uh, again, incredibly deliberate thinking. The reservation thing, that's... Yeah. Trying to, he was really trying taxes. To, yeah. I don't love that. Right? That's yeah. uh, bothersome, especially because he definitely wasn't employing Native Americans, nah, I don't think. Not at all. Not at all. So he had a couple of different tests that he would uh, kind of use to decide where they were going to put it. And one was called the big state test. Sure. And they didn't want to use New York or California as their base because they knew they'd get a lot of business in those states, hence a lot of sales tax revenue. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Absolutely. So you had to have the, it was like the talent. Mm-hmm. A nice place to live, to have uh, people, employees that were happy. Right. Couldn't have a state like Mississippi or Iowa where there's brain drain. You have to have like local talent to actually That's it. come yeah. in. My cousin talked about that because he also went to Princeton and then went over to, he got a job at Microsoft right mm-hmm. in the early days. And he talked about how he ended up staying when, you know, people like Amazon and Google and all that came in and kind of poached a lot of their right. employees. He stuck around and... Yep stayed and but that's that's the talent pool that he's talking about pulling from oh, for you know. sure and for i'm not sure. gonna lie there is one of my favorite things in the world is poaching from other companies oh, <laughs> it no. makes me feel very good inside i i do love it i had to fend off a pretty vicious poaching effort about a year ago i remember work. this yeah, yeah. It was tense oh yeah I forgot so about I, that I prevailed in that uh that's a big win way yeah. to go randall yeah thanks as they headed to seattle mckenzie drove while jeff typed a business plan they decided that the company would be called Amazon for the seemingly endless South American river with its numberless branches. They set up shop in a two-bedroom house with extension cords running to the garage. Jeff set up three Sun micro stations on tables he'd made out of doors from Home Depot for less than $60 each. When the test site was up and running, Jeff asked 300 friends and acquaintances to test it. The code worked seamlessly across different computer platforms. On July 16, 1995, Bezos opened his site to the world and told his 300 beta testers to spread the word. In 30 days, with no press, Amazon sold books in all 50 states and 45 foreign countries. By September, it had sales of $20,000 a week. Bezos and his team continued improving the site, introducing such unheard-of features as such as one-click shopping, customer reviews, and email order verification. Proof of concept delivered. That's it. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat, that's got to be an amazing feeling. Yeah, oh, he came up with the idea, and it worked. Like, right first off the bat, try, yeah. yeah. The business grew faster than Bezos or anyone else could have ever imagined. When the company went public in 1997, just two years later, skeptics wondered if an internet-based startup bookseller could maintain its position against once-traditional heavyweights like Barnes & Noble and Borders. Two years later, the market value of shares in Amazon was greater than the two biggest retail competitors combined, and Borders was striking a deal for Amazon to handle its internet traffic. Jeff had told his original investors that there was a 70% chance they would lose their entire investment but his parents signed on for $300,000, a substantial portion of their life savings. We weren't betting on the internet, his mother said. We were betting on Jeff. By the end of the decade, as 6% owners of Amazon, they too were billionaires. For several years, as much as a third of the shares in the company were held by members of the Bezos family. Yeah, and I mean, just even the way he's delivering that is is perfect. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. This is this is the, the, the Wall Street side of him, where he's like, yeah, look, I'm going to show you what your risk is, but you know, here's the potential upside here. And a lot of people, like, especially when they're pitching for money, will never tell you the negative side, right? Right. Yeah, it's always positive, positive, yeah, yeah. positive. Oh, dude, it's a 99% chance that you're going to be just rich off this, you know what I'm saying? But he obviously knows what he's doing, and the, even the way, like they said, the deliberate sort of way that he rolled this out is just, it's just impressive. I mean, I get it that a lot of people don't like him, and they don't like billionaires or, like, Wall Street people, but, I mean, there is a, it's it really is an art form, it's, and he's, it's, it's kind of amazing. 
I remember hearing an interview with him one time where he talked about like those early days when he was doing the books and he was like, you know, we could probably be doing more. So we like started the just feedback uh, with all the customers that bought stuff. They're like, you know, uh, thank you for buying this book. If you could have bought anything else, right. what would you have bought online? And, you know, like somebody said, like fishing poles. And yeah. then somebody said, you know, like, I don't know, like car towels to, mm-hmm. you know, to wash my car or something like that. Like everybody came up with something different. Right. And he was like, holy shit, I think I've, you know, like, yeah. I could do that. I can do, you know. You do all of it. Yeah, yeah dude. You do everything. From the beginning, Bezos sought to increase market share as quickly as possible at the expense of profits. When he disclosed his intention to go from being Earth's biggest bookstore to Earth's biggest anything store, skeptics thought Amazon was growing too big too fast. But a few analysts called it one of the smartest strategies in business history. Mm-hmm. Through each round of expansion, Jeff Bezos continually emphasized the six core values customer obsession, ownership, bias for action, frugality, high hiring bar, and innovation. Yeah. Our vision, he said, is the world's most consumer-centric company, the place where people come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Amazon moved into CDs, videos, toys, electronics, and more. When the internet stock market bubble burst, Amazon restructured. While other dot-com startups evaporated, Amazon continued to post profits. Yeah, yeah. How many of those dot coms went bust? Oh, a ton. There were because it was an inflated market for sure. You had Pets dot com. I mean, there's so many that that were just like they were non-starters at that time in investing. What they started talking about, they're like, oh, it's a total paradigm shift. You don't care about the financial structure anymore. You don't worry about the financial statement. All you want is eyeballs. If they're getting tons of eyeballs, then you can convert that. You can monetize it. Whatever. But what was really sort of amazing about uh, Bezos, especially, is like I said, is that he understood that fundamental financial stuff is always going to be important. And then even investors at that point, I remember for the longest time, they were like, well, they lose money every year. They lose money. Like, they just lose money. Why would you invest in them? There was a really uh, great investor guy named Bill Miller who got him very early, and he only owns two positions now, two entire positions, and has for years. And Mm -hmm. it's Amazon, and then he recently got into Bitcoin. Okay. But- what is amazing is that like people couldn't figure out how to value Amazon, right? They couldn't figure out how to value tech companies because it's an accounting trick. The the difficulty is that where if you are a, a traditional company, say Caterpillar or something like that, you uh, invest a lot of money. It's called capital expenditures. You, you build warehouses. You do whatever. Well, if you're a tech company, you don't need warehouses. You don't need physical assets necessarily, right? You're investing in maybe... Uh, server space or whatever, but a lot of it is R&D. Yep. Now, you can depreciate capital expenditures. You can't depreciate R&D. So recently, like I even read a book about it where a guy was like, when you're, invest- or like, when you're investing in tech companies, you have to throw out old accounting uh, processes, and you really need to consider that R&D of these tech companies to be their capital expenditures. Mm-hmm. And that's how you use it to value that company. And so for the longest time, when he was like reinvesting in his, in his company and you were throwing that R&D uh, cost out the window, if you had put it in as capital expenditures and depreciated it, you could see that they were profitable and extremely profitable. Yeah. So I remember reading that and I was like, oh, hmm. well, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. you know? As the business continued to boom, obviously Bezos was going to get more and more coverage and also more of what comes with the job, scrutiny. Apparently he's a bit of an asshole if you don't come correct at work. Brad Stone's book, The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon, outlines a litany of barbs that Bezos has allegedly hurled at employees. And the list goes something like this. First one says, I'm sorry, did I take my stupid pills today? Next one is, are you lazy or just incompetent? Third one, I trust you to run a world-class operation, and this is another example of how you're letting me down. Fourth, 
if I hear that idea again, I'm going to have to kill myself. No. Jeez. And the fifth, why are you ruining my life? I don't like one, two, or five. Three or four. I know. He's like, yeah, I'm trusting you to do this. You're not delivering. Yeah, but you can say it in a non-condescending way. Well, I think he's starting off with a good thing. I trust you to run <laughs> world-class <laughs> operation. You're not delivering. But yes, one, two, and five are bad. Certainly. The one about uh, having to kill himself? Yeah, that was five, right? That was four. Yeah, so I was wondering, I was like, huh, why are you ruining my life? That wasn't that bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm sorry. Three is reasonable. All the rest can go to hell. <laughs> Bezos is apparently a tough critic during employee presentations as well. Back in 2011, programmer and ex-Amazon employee Steve Yegi published an account of his time at Amazon. In particular, he spoke of going in to present to the CEO, an experience he likened to being in a gladiator movie. Presenting to Jeff is a gauntlet that tends to send people back to the cave to lick their wounds and stay out of the sunlight for a while. Yegi said Bezos ended up liking his presentation, which surprised his co-workers. One VP told me privately, presentations with Jeff never go that well, he wrote. But don't try to wow him with PowerPoint. Business Insider reported a leaked email from the Amazon CEO accuses the program of encouraging people to gloss over ideas, flatten out any sense of relative importance, and ignore the interconnectedness of ideas. It's apparently banned from Amazon's campus. Hmm. Can't use PowerPoint at Amazon. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can now, see it. If he's, if he's a data-driven guy. You know what I'm saying? He's the type of dude working in finance where he's like, just show me the spreadsheet. I don't need some fucking fancy picture yeah, yeah. flying in and Send swirling. me the raw data and let me just <laughs> dig through it, you know? But also, I don't, I don't necessarily hate that idea of him being... Brutally honest, like, you know, there's another guy, Ray Dalio, who's another famous investor, and his uh, he's put out a couple books, and one he talks about with Bridgewater Capital, the one he runs, which literally I think has like a trillion dollars in a uh, assets under management. He has what they call like radical transparency. So if you go in and give a presentation, everybody has to tell you how you did, and they have to be brutally honest. Like, so it sucks, but you're also, he's like, because it gets rid of the whole fucking bullshit. Like, if we're telling you you're doing a good job just to be nice, well... You're not delivering, yeah. And I mean, it's got it's a tough sort of culture, but I, I I mean, it seems to work well. So, I'm just picturing Jeff Bezos standing up there like in Gladiator, just mm -hmm. with the thumbs up or thumbs yeah. down yeah. on all the yeah. presentations. Yeah. And somebody comes out there and fucking stabs him with a trident, yeah. like the guy that sucks. <laughs> ah! Or they just drop him the trap door yeah. down to the lion. Yeah. Who's next? <laughs> Also, those early years employees working for him, putting in the hard hours in the warehouse, were never provided city bus passes because he didn't want to have to give them any reason to rush out of the office to catch the last bus of the day. So apparently they had asked to uh, be provided with bus passes from Amazon and got declined. Boo, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, is it his job to get people there to and from? Nah, Take it for what it's worth. It could be nice. In an attempt to drive internal competition within Amazon, Bezos reportedly established secret tech teams to work against one another to keep everyone on their toes. Former Amazon senior developer David Loftness told the New York Times that he had been working to improve the site's search capabilities for years before he discovered the CEO had greenlighted a secret competing effort to build an alternative technology. He said he ended up quitting over the company's work environment. Despite how he was treating those to help him get there, Amazon continued to boom. In 2013, Bezos secured a $600 million contract with the CIA on behalf of Amazon Web Services. And in October of that year, Amazon was recognized as the world's largest online shopping retailer. Yep. I remember when that contract came with the CIA, everybody was like, your Alexas are, are listening to you. Yeah. The CIA has every access to you now. They are listening, but the CIA doesn't give a fuck about you. 
Yeah. <laughs> Unless, and, you know, maybe most of you, most of you listening. 99.9% yeah, yeah, yeah. of you. Yeah, doesn't give a shit what I do. That, I'm not saying that's cool, by the way. I'm just saying, like, realistically, you know, I'm not paranoid about them following me around because, I mean, they would be bored out of their minds. That's right. Bezos continued to branch out and expand his empire, and one of his pickups along the way was the Washington Post. That's a newspaper for all you late 90s babies. When he initially bought the newspaper, the staff was reportedly grateful that Bezos stepped in when he did. Working conditions were bad, and Bezos' purchase of the company seemed to put some changes in place. But the rainbows and sunshine didn't last. In June of 2018, more than 400 Post employees signed an open letter to Bezos asking him to treat them fairly. They signed a petition for fair pay, benefits, and job security, decrying shocking current practices. All we're asking for is fairness for each and every employee who contributed to this company's success, the petition states. Fair wages, fair benefits for retirement, family leave and health care, and a fair amount of job security. Although they managed to secure some benefits, including the right to ask for a pay review based on the possibility of gender or minority-based pay disparity, they said they were not met with a profound willingness by the post top management to meet halfway on a lot of the issues that were important to them. So... Yeah, didn't uh, didn't go over well with the employees. A specifically mentioned in the petition was a pay increase of ten dollars a week, which was less than half the rate of the inflation at the time. Ten bucks a week for ten a bucks person? a week per person was the proposal. That's four thousand. Like it was four hundred employees. Yeah, four hundred employees signed the petition. That's yeah, four thousand a week. Ten no ten dollars a week. Raise. Yeah, somebody needs to teach That's them the nothing. concept of anchoring. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so ask for 100, yeah. and then maybe you settle out at like 30, and you're like, wow, we got three times as much as we were going to ask. Oh, no, that's what they wound up getting. No, I know. Time. As yeah. I'm saying, they yeah. obviously didn't ask. They, they asked wrong. Yeah. They asked wrong, you know? Also, <laughs> I used to always with want- the floor. I always wanted to be a writer when I was growing up, like starting journalism, write novels, write whatever, whatever. Hard pass now. I mean, even back then, if they're if I'm like fighting for ten dollars more a week, I'm like that's that's a Wendy's value meal. Yeah. Not even anymore. Yeah. During the 1990s, Bezos earned a reputation for relentlessly pushing Amazon forward, often at the expense of public charity and social welfare. Journalist Mark O'Connell criticized Bezos's relentless customer focus as very small in terms of impact on humanity as a whole. A sentiment technologist Tim O'Reilly agreed with. His business practices projected a public image of prudence and parsimony with his own wealth and that of Amazon. In 1999, Bezos is worth $10 yet drove a 1996 Honda Accord. That's right. Uh, Respect for him on that. You know, he's just the average man at that point. It's true. One of the physicians I work with is a longtime physician, very well uh, known in the area, tons of business, drives a, a 98 Corolla, and I'm just like, you know what? I love you, bro. That's sure. really awesome. Yeah. yeah, He's like, I only do it because my wife hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout the early 2000s, he was perceived to be geeky and nerdy. Bezos was seen by some as needlessly quantitative and data-driven. This perception was detailed by Alan Deutschman, who described him as talking in lists and enumerating the criteria in order of importance in every decision he's ever made. Select accounts of a persona have drawn controversy and public attention as well. Notably, journalist Brad Stone, who wrote that book, I talked about earlier, described Bezos as a demanding boss as well as hyper-competitive and opined that Bezos perhaps bet the biggest on the internet than anyone else. Bezos has been characterized as a notoriously opportunistic CEO who operates with little concern for obstacles and externalities. In September 2000, Bezos founded Blue Origin, a human spaceflight startup. Bezos has long expressed an interest in space travel and the development of human life in the solar system. After its founding, Blue Origin maintained a low profile until 2006 when it purchased a large tract of land in West Texas for a launch and test facility. 
After the company gained the public's attention during the late 2000s, Bezos additionally indicated his interest in reducing the cost of space travel for humans while also increasing the safety of extraterrestrial travel. In September of 2011, one of the company's uncrewed prototype vehicles crashed during a short hop test flight. Although the crash was viewed as a setback, news outlets reported how far the company went in founding today in advancing spaceflight. I was a little confused there for a second when you said the safety of extraterrestrial travel. I was like, is he... Trying to do connecting flights to other planets? Like ET, I don't, yeah, yeah, ET's I, layover. Yeah, but I, I get you were saying like just for people to go outside yeah, of yeah, a yes. terrestrial. Yeah, yes. Yeah, super terrestrial, extraterrestrial. After the crash, Bezos has been superstitiously wearing his lucky Texas cowboy boots to all rocket launches. Ugh. Yeah. Add points. <laughs> In May of 2013, Bezos met with Richard Branson, chairman of Virgin Galactic, to discuss commercial spaceflight opportunities and strategies. He's been compared to Branson and Elon Musk, as all three are billionaires who prioritize spaceflight among their business interests. Can they all get into a rocket accident together? And not come back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, isn't there like a big, like, basically like a uh, big dick contest between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk? Or at least that was like the narrative playing for a while in between SpaceX. And yeah, and, and, and Richard Branson. Richard Branson's just, they filed for bankruptcy. Virgin is out. Is yeah. the, are they out? Yeah, oh, really? Out. Yeah. And With then, their Virgin uh, Galactic or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, and uh, both uh, Blue Origin and SpaceX have landed pretty uh, serious government contracts. So, I don't know. I mean, you know. It's I, it was a thing where billionaires were like buying like shelters to protect themselves in the case of an apocalypse, and then spaceships at the same time. So, like I said, you can I, either hunker down or blast off. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's what they do. That's <laughs> what they do. On July twentieth, twenty twenty one, he launched the NS sixteen mission with his half brother Mark Bezos, Wally Funk, and Oliver Damon. Wally Funk. Wally Funk. <laughs> that's a badass name. Wally Funk out in space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets on the ship and it's like. Welcome as Captain Wally Funk. (laughs) Buckle up, everybody. It's going to be a wild ride to the moon. Far out, man. (laughs) He launched nine days after Richard Branson launched on board with the Virgin Galactic Unity 22 mission. Unity! And Bezos' suborbital flight lasted over 10 minutes and reached a peak altitude of 66.5 miles above the Earth's surface. Okay, cool. Yeah, got up there pretty high. But it seemed like he was kind of doing more of like the... uh, uh, what do you call that? A Red Bull type stuff where he just kind of like, like just flew up all of them and came yeah. straight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms out. of manned spaceflight, that's all like private manned spaceflight. That's that's all they're trying to do, really, is be like, oh, cool. Even like Virgin, all of them were like, hey, we want to create sort of what's basically the equivalent of like a 747 that just gets you out to space and then comes back. Suborbital, but yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. not going to go around the moon because it just doesn't make sense. So you're not even, all you got to do is go out there and then you get to see space, experience uh, zero gravity. And then you drop back down and hopefully don't die, or hopefully do, depending on who you are. <laughs> yeah, it's like the opposite of the uh, Titanic submarine. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Well, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what That billionaire died on that one, yeah. so count him up. <laughs> don't want to wait another week for the next episode of Asshole Court to come out? Go check out our new and improved Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. You'll get highlights from past shows, and you can join in on the conversation of past asshole courtroom drama. Check us out at AHC Podcast, or leave us a review on whatever platform you listen on. Now, back to the action. During the early 2010s, Bezos solidified his reputation for aggressive business practices, and his public image began to shift. Bezos started to wear tailored clothing. He weight-trained, 
pursued a regimented diet and began to freely spend his money. His physical transformation has been compared to the transformation of Amazon. He's often referred to as the metonym of the company. His physical appearance increased the public's perception of him as a symbolically dominant figure in business and in popular culture, where he's been parodied as an enterprising supervillain. Yeah. So it really is true. They talked about how the companies, like you said, started with books, nerdy, mm-hmm. geeky, and has evolved into a, like AWS and all yeah. the tech. Like, yep. And now you look at, Am- at Bezos yeah. and he looks like Mr. X. I know. Right? And it makes sense, too, because when you see a Profe- lot of those pictures. No, Professor X. My bad, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the bald head doesn't help, you know, like the shaved head and being sort of muscular or whatever. And it does sort of represent how strong Amazon has, has become. But but in that one picture I saw where he had a, a massive strap on dildo and Amazon is really the number one in sex toys being sold. I can see it really that. did make sense. Yeah. It just did. I bet they are. They have to be. They have to be. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean seriously, you're going to get it delivered like, with uh, whatever else you want in a box and it's a just a, it's not a, like starships like, like a bubble chain. Oh, absolutely no. not. No, yeah. no. You're like, "Oh, I need some fucking Edison lights for my porch and a Ram boner." So let's <laughs> get this over with. <laughs> let's get this over with. Free, free shipping for my Ram boner? Thank you. Lights and dick in a box. That's right. That's right. Since 2017, he's been portrayed by Kyle Mooney and Steve Carell on Saturday Night Live usually as an undercutting, domineering figure. In May 2014, the International Trade Union Confederation named Bezos world's worst boss, with its general secretary, Sharon Burroughs, saying, Jeff Bezos represents the inhumanity of employers who are promoting the North American corporate model. While in 2019, Harvard Business Review, which ranked Bezos the best-performing CEO for four years in a row since 2014, did not rank him even in the top 100, citing Amazon's relatively low ESG, environmental, social, and governance scores that reflect risks created by working conditions and employment policies, data security, and antitrust issues. See, my difficulty with that is that there are issues that happen. You hear about simply Amazon drivers, Amazon people that work in the warehouse, the amount of time that they have to take. But at the same time, I'm like, let's, let's, if we're putting it on a, on a level playing field here, like there's tons of fast fashion companies that literally use slave labor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like if you're working sweatshop and stuff like that, I would rather work at Amazon and like have to pee in an Avion bottle than work in, in Malaysia where I get my hand cut off in some sort of fucking uh, machinery accident. And they just kind of pull you off the line and replace you with somebody yes, else. Yes. Don't yeah. get me wrong. They should improve that stuff here, but the, the, the wages seem much better uh, they are much better than than slave labor and it's just because you know he's obviously an easy target because everybody knows amazon and knows this stuff uh but they do offer some sort of compensation package with benefits whereas again you know companies that are making the clothes that you're probably wearing right now are using children so let's just keep it real during the late 2010s bezos reversed his reputation for being reluctant to spend money on non-business related expenses His relative lack of philanthropy compared to other billionaires has drawn a negative response from the public since then. Bezos has been known to publicly contest claims made in critical articles, as exemplified in 2015 when he sent a memo to employees denouncing a New York Times piece. The New York Times piece, based on interviews with more than 100 current and former Amazon employees, cited several cases of alleged employee mistreatment depicting managers who were unsympathetic to employees even when they were faced with illness or family issues. Reporters Jody Cantor and David Streetfield described a hard-charging environment at Amazon where employees often are pushed to the point where they nearly combust. The article doesn't describe the Amazon I know or the caring Amazonians I work with every day, Bezos writes. But if you know of any stories like those reported, I want you to escalate them to HR. You can also email me directly at jeff at amazon.com. 
even if it's rare or isolated, our tolerance for any such lack of empathy needs to be zero. Jeff, you better start getting some emails from AHC Podcast, boy. (laughs) That's one of his things. He's had Jeff at Amazon.com forever, and he encourages people to use it. And from what I read, he never replies from it, but he'll forward messages to upper management sometimes on emails that he gets. He'll just forward it on with a question mark for them to look at whatever, you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. God, I mean, I think my inbox is bad when I... In fact, we're going to Denver next week, and I'm terrified of coming back to my inbox, so I'm actually bringing my laptop because I don't want to walk into 600 emails. Uh, Jeff Bezos is probably getting 600 a minute. Oh, my God. I wouldn't (laughs) doubt it. Yeah, He's about to get some from me, for real. (laughs) He adds later, I strongly believe that anyone working in a company that really is like the one described in the New York Times would be crazy to stay. I know I would leave such a company. And he concludes... But hopefully you don't recognize the company described. Hopefully you're having fun working with a bunch of brilliant teammates, helping invent the future, and laughing along the way. In March of 2018, Bezos... <laughs> 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 Did you see how I filled up that Avian bottle with my pee because I couldn't take a bathroom break? <laughs> Holy shit! Hold on, I'm stuffing a dildo into this box. <laughs> One minute. He said Steve definitely took his vitamins today. Look at the color of that pee. <laughs> oh, he needs to drink more water. <laughs> laugh everyone laugh i love my teammates i love you guys so much in march of 2018 bezos met in seattle with mohammed bin salman the crown prince and de facto ruler of saudi arabia to discuss investment opportunities for saudi vision 2030 in march of 2019 bezos's security consultant accused the Saudi government of hacking Bezos's phone. Mm-hmm. According to the BBC, Bezos' top security staffer, Gavin DeBecker, linked the hack to the Washington Post coverage of the murder of Saudi writer Jamal Khashoggi at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Khashoggi, a Saudi journalist and dissident, was employed as a writer at the Washington Post, owned by Bezos. Khashoggi was killed in late 2018 in Turkey's Saudi consulate for his critical stance in journalism against the Saudi government and its leader. In January 2020, The Guardian reported that the hack was initiated before the murder, but after Khashoggi wrote critically about the crown prince in the Post. Forensic analysis of Bezos's mobile phone conducted by advisory firm FTI Consulting concluded it was highly probable that the hack was achieved using a malicious file hidden in a video sent in a WhatsApp message to Bezos from the personal account of the crown prince May 1st, 2018. Yeah. Saudi Arabia has denied the claim. Bullshit. But they Mohammed said, bin Salman. And that's what they call the Mohammed bone saw because, yeah, Khashoggi got uh, killed in the consulate and cut up with bone saws and taken out. Everybody knows it. It's not great. Ooh, the bone saw. That's rough. That's yeah. a rough way to go. Well, he didn't get killed. I don't, I don't, they don't know for sure, but they definitely used a bone saw to cut him up. They knew this, and like, there's a lot of. Pretty much every, what do you call Five Eyes, which is all the, like, U.S., Britain, Australia, uh, all of their intelligence offices are like, yeah, they absolutely killed this guy for talking shit. He was a Washington Post journalist. And our government at the time, 2018, uh, they just turned a blind eye to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, didn't do too much. No. No, they didn't. They just took more money from MBS. But it's funny that um, the Crown Prince texted something to yeah. Jeff Bezos and hacked his phone with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. In January 2019, the bombshell news broke that Amazon CEO and his wife, Mackenzie, were getting a divorce after 25 years of marriage. Hours later, we learned that Bezos was in a relationship with Lauren Sanchez, a TV host and helicopter pilot who, along with her husband, had been friends with the Bezoses. Page 6, which published the news a few hours before the Inquirer, reported that Jeff Mackenzie Bezos knew the Inquirer report was going to come out 
and it timed their divorce announcement to get out ahead of it. Yeah. So they wanted to come out with the divorce before the Inquirer came out and said that he was in a relationship with his lady. Well, yeah. and here's here's what I'm going to say about that as well, because I, I get it. You know, you're married for a long time, kind of get over that, whatever. But, like, Mackenzie's cute. She's attractive. Like, she seems, like, and very smart. His new girl, Sanchez, looks like she's took half of his fortune and used it she for like, uh, plastic surgery. She looks like a blow-up doll. She does. It is she very looks strange. Like a sex doll. Yes. Like, for real. Is she a dirty Sanchez? She is. is yeah, apparently. Dirty Sanchez, yeah. Yeah. Well, her husband, this, his was Sanchez, and he got fucked, too. But, <laughs> but for real, like, I'm just like, I'm looking at her, and I'm looking at Mackenzie, and I'm looking at her, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, I mean... He could have done Come better on, than man. that. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, dude, she, Randy called it. She does look like a fucking sex doll. It's so strange. Oh. Her her eyes and lips. Yes. She has like a fake looking face. Ten oh. years, she's going to look like a lion. That's, yeah. how, that's how far along she's coming with man, the plastic. You know how like fillers Donatella Versace yes. looks? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, she'll look oh, like really? that. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, The gossip site also reported at the time that Bezos and Sanchez started dating after Jeff and McKenzie had separated the previous fall and that McKenzie knew of the relationship. By the end of January, the Daily Beast reported that Bezos was funding an investigation into who leaked his private messages to the Inquirer. Bezos' personal head of security headed up the investigation. They said at the time that he thought the leaks were politically motivated, which was denied. The investigation initially pointed to Michael Sanchez, Lauren's brother, and an outspoken Trump supporter as the person who leaked the photos and texts, which Sanchez denied. A feud has simmered for years between Trump and Bezos, who also, again, owns the Washington Post and is a frequent Trump target. The Inquirer's publisher, AMI, is run by David Pecker, a longtime Trump ally. So the Inquirer is run by Pecker, who's Trump's buddy. Yep. The Post, obviously owned by Bezos. They don't get along. Bezos also hinted in the Post that there may have been a link between the investigation into his relationship with Sanchez and the Saudi government as well. Specifically, that he might have been a target of the Saudis because he owns the post, which provided unrelenting coverage of the murder against Khashoggi, again killed by the Saudi agents. The Saudi angle of Bezos' own investigation into the leaks seemed to have hit a particular nerve with Pecker, Bezos wrote. For its part, the Saudi Arabian government denied any role in the situation and called the whole saga a soap opera. Sure. What are they going to be like? Yeah, fucking totally did that yeah. shit. <laughs> I said this motherfucker text on WhatsApp, right? Got his ass! <laughs> Anyways, we I just wonder killed what, this guy with a bone saw. I wonder what the tight. video was. Like, what video? Could the print send him like a, like a cat video or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, check this out, good buddy. Yeah. Here's more bitches that look like sex dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Watch all the way through, yes. please. Throughout his journey to space and becoming the world's richest man, Bezos has caught a lot of heat for not giving back. He has not signed the giving pledge, but it does seem as though he contributes to things he's interested in. In February of 2020, Bezos gave $10 billion to combat climate change through the Bezos Earth Fund. Later that year, in November, Bezos announced $791 million of donations to established well-known groups, with $100 million each going to the Environmental Defense Fund, Natural Resources Defense Council, the Nature Conservancy, World Resources Institute, and the World Wildlife Fund, and the remainder going to 11 other groups. In April 2020, early in the COVID-19 pandemic, Bezos donated $100 million to food banks through Feeding America. In November of 21, Bezos pledged another $2 billion towards restructuring food systems and nature conservation at the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference. In November of 22, Bezos granted a $100 million Courage and Civility Award to singer and AHC alum Dolly Parton in recognition of her charity work focused on improving children's literacy around the world. That's right. Jeff. Jeff. At Amazon.com. Please 
deliver a hundred million dollars to AHC podcast for the work that we do. That's right. That's why we're going to score you a one point zero. <laughs> the Lord's work over <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, we've right. actually exchanged you with Mister Rogers as our top of the scale. That's right. For a good person. <laughs> On November 22, 2022, Bezos awarded $123 million to organizations that are engaged in relocating homeless families to permanent housing. Day One Families Fund grants, the amounts which vary, will be sent to 40 organizations across the country, again, spreading out $123 bucks. So, some pretty good stuff there at the end. Yeah. And that, boys, is Jeff Bezos. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Um, final He's, scores, I'll start. All right, Mikey. Um, You know... There's not a lot of horrible stuff there. There's just not. And I know that he's a target and everybody hates, and even the, the Bo Burnham song, Jeff Bezos, cracks me the fuck up. I've never heard that. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, he's just making it like Bezos is like a robot. Uh, one oh, of the maybe lines, I did oh, hear yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's basically talking about Jeff, Jeffrey Bezos, and he's talking about fucks everybody's wives. I'm Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> Be- yeah, yeah. Or something like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember that yeah, one. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a level of respect I have in terms of his ability to achieve something. I mean, he came from a fairly, you know, small background. His dad was a fucking unicyclist. Unicyclist. Yeah. yeah. Number one unicyclist. That's right. In Albuquerque, which, you know, let's yeah. go ahead. And, uh, he's not international. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that. In that um, southwestern market, though, Albuquerque is a hot unicycling town. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, yeah. there's not much rain there. So, I mean, the roads are. Yeah, like primed Dry. for but it. But let's not pretend like he's, you know, Vance Armstrong here, the number one unicyclist <laughs> on the globe. <laughs> but no, I mean, like I said, I, I know it's very uh, easy and popular to just despise him and make him out to be a Bond villain because he looks like one. But I just have a level of respect for anybody that's sort of able to analyze things and kind of go after something like that. And it would be different. Like when we talk about like with Steve Jobs. Like, Steve Jobs gave fucking nothing to anybody in terms of, like, you know, donations. Like, for real. Like, it was it, his donation was to just block their parking space with his fucking new Mercedes. And not give any kind of alimony to his children. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or fucking, you know, basically build homes in other states so he could get that liver from somebody else that could have used it much better. Uh, Bezos is not doing that. He may not be given the giving pledge, which I think he should. I think it's a, a, a good thing to sort of set out there. But he also is like giving away $10 billion here, $100 million there, giving stuff to Dolly Parton. Uh, he's he's giving away a lot of money to causes that I think are very relevant and, and, and good. I think you know, it's, it's it's a bummer that you know he, he probably cheated on his wife and that he went with this blow-up doll. But, you know, actually, it's funny because Mackenzie ended up, you know, she got a paid out of this. Oh, yeah. And she's donated a ton of money to a lot of causes. Oh, yeah. Do we know what her payout was? She got 25% of the Amazon stock shares between the couple, and it was about $36 billion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. She'll never want. Her great, 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 great grandchildren will be okay. Uh, unless they die uh, because of global warming, which at least they're both, co- uh, like, contributing money to to avoid. <laughs> so, I think I started them off at a 5.75. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bump them down a little bit there is stuff in there about like the way that they manage but again like i said there's you know when you're getting into that higher sort of executive level structure for companies i'm okay with it being sort of just like sometimes you got to be brutal and be like your presentation sucked dude like you got to come with more you know whatever i wish that you would see more from like the amazon like entry level employees and stuff like that like you know maybe they have better insurance they could take bathroom breaks and stuff like that but at the end of the day like i said it, it really compared to other companies is not the end of the world. You know, they do have decent 
I guess facilities and, and whatnot. So I'm going to lower them a little bit. 5.5. I'm sure everybody is going to hate me and call me a capitalist pig. But no, that's not. That's that's that could be further from the truth. All right, 5.5 for Mikey, buddy. What do you got? You know, listening to everything here on the show today, there really wasn't a lot of meat on the bone to call this guy an asshole. Uh, some of the biggest strikes, like him wanting to buy the Native American land for tax exemption. I mean, if this he just is, wanted to operate out of there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. If that's your home base, you know, you're just trying to be smart and trying to, you know, it's circumvent pretty, taxes. Pretty cynical. <laughs> pretty cynical and yeah. shitty. At the end of the day, if you're going to sit there and read all the laws and yeah. try to, like, apply it to your advantage, hey, you know. Sure. It, and he tried to do it. He got his hand slapped for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he moved on. But, I mean, that's the kind of person that is going to do something like create a business. He's just going to keep on taking shots and mm-hmm. shots and shots and shots. So, I, you know, I don't, I can't really knock him for that. You know, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, there was some adultery that went on. Um, possibly. Possibly. Cause it, Most likely. Know, according to him, or according to the narrative, it was something that they already knew about mm. and they were dealing with as a, as a couple, mm. just hadn't made it public. I bet Mr. Sanchez was a little shocked, though. Yeah, <laughs> he got done dirty. Also, what do you think? You're like, I get it. Yeah, I, I mean, he's the richest it. man in the world. Yeah. yeah, I mean, does he want to fuck me too? Because <laughs> I'll do it <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just didn't hear a lot of there that you know, really made him seem like he was that bad. I mean, when we compare him to people like Steve Jobs and even Elon Musk, for that matter, um, it seems like they were actually a little bit harsher in their episodes than you yeah. know um, Jeff has proven to be so. Um, we had Elon Musk at a 5.3, so I'm going to have to drop him just a you know little bit under that. And um, I'm going to finish Jeff Bezos off at a... I'm going to put him at a 5.2 if we say the average person's a 3 or 4. i got to drop him below Elon Musk. And I'm yeah, 5.2 is where I'm going to finish off Jeff Bezos. All right, 5.2 for Buddy. Randy, bring us home. All right, man. I mean, honestly, you guys hit on a lot of it. There wasn't like the one striking dagger, right? The one thing that kind of stood out or the one story that's kind of really cast a, mm-hmm. you know, a dark cloud over him. Yeah, he didn't kill like an Amazon driver and then fuck their corpse. Yeah. Yeah, where I was kind of like mentioning in the beginning about treatment of employees, it kind of seems like wherever there was any kind of infraction, he was like, let me know about it. I'll handle mm-hmm. it, you know, and go in there. Email me, Jeff, mm-hmm. at Amazon. Yeah. So It, it seems though he has tried to... So make it somewhat workable, livable, doable. Again, and you, you brought up a good point, buddy, talking about just kind of comparing them to Tesla was a good example. Sure. We did the show on Elon Musk. Yeah. They had, I mean, there was a lot of turmoil in their factories mm-hmm. with a lot of their employees. So some similarities ring true. Um, in terms of his personal life with the adultery, again, you know, behind closed doors is their deal. It doesn't sound like he was like just blatantly cheating on her for a long amount of time or anything like that. Uh, so for my final score, I rarely do this. I'm holding the line. I'm holding the line with my pre-show score at 5.13. I'm going to use that as my final score. It's going to put him right in between Tila Tequila and Lindsay Lohan. All right. You think that's where he's going to land, huh? <laughs> that's not where he's going to land, but that's where you're putting him. Oh, I thought you were doing He might. He might land in between those because he yeah. does seem to like chicks that look like they have tons of plastic surgery and are insane. All right. With a 5.5 from Mikey, a 5.2 from Buddy. And a 5.13 from Randy. Jeff Bezos' final asshole score is a 5.28. All right, 5.28. Interesting company for the richest man in all the land. Dr. Oz came in at 5.25. And at 5.3, just above, land DMX and Elon Musk. So, again, Elon Musk came in at 5.3. Bezos comes in at 5.28. Yeah. Interesting how that... uh, 
came out the way it did. Yeah. I feel like Elon's a little bit more of a dickhead. Oh, he's than gotten Jeff. much worse. Yeah, yeah. That's why. I mean, even if we take out what's happened, even just recently, yeah. I mean, that is why he's two he, basis points higher. He seems to be actively supporting Nazis at this point to some level. You're why kinda, does it always come back to the Nazis? I don't know, but it does. He does. He seems okay with white supremacists lately. His uh, his whole uh, thing with with Twitter slash X has been a fucking dumpster fire oh to God, watch. Oh yeah, now. it's been been rough. Yeah. Anyways. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. Like we talked about in the beginning of the episode, we definitely appreciate all the support from our Patreon folks and our GoFundMe supporters that have chipped in and helped to kind of uh, cover some of the costs to our trip out to Denver. It's going to be a lot of fun. We hope to learn a lot, network with some other podcasts so we can uh, maybe have some guests on our show and uh, get you guys listening to some other uh, podcasts outside of AHC if you ever choose to do so. I don't know why you would, but it's an option. There's a lot of options out there. We definitely appreciate the support, and as always, be kind to one another, and we'll see you next time on Asshole Court.